Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. You know, I appreciate that video. I would imagine that, uh, that if I asked everyone in the room this morning to take time to, to pray with their neighbor, that there may be some who actually would struggle with that request. If I were to say something along the lines of, let's recite the Lord's Prayer, we probably would find that easier as a congregation just to, just to go uh, recite the Lord's Prayer together. The biggest struggle with that, though, would be some of us would be praying, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, and others would be praying, forgive us uh, our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And it all just depends on where you memorized it and how old you were when you memorized it. And so I, I love praying the Lord's Prayer in a mixed group because you get to that point and it's, forgive us our debts. And you hear this, this kind of this mixed blurb across the room as everybody says, a little bit of a different version based on how they memorized it. Of course, you know, the Lord's Prayer was given to us as an example. Uh, Jesus didn't give it to us to be the end all of all prayers. If you'll just say this prayer, you don't have to worry about praying anything else. That's not the point of the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Prayer was given to us as an example, as, um, as a model for us. Again, there's absolutely nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer from, from memory. It's always for our good to commit God's word to memory, even if it's a model prayer like Jesus gives us. Uh, and it's good for us to have passages that we can share from memory together. I, how many of us have been to nursing homes to see somebody elderly and, and the Lord's Prayer is something that they may not know who you are, but you can start reciting the Lord's Prayer and that person in a, in a bed is able to recite the Lord's Prayer along with you and they'll probably say debts uh, or trespasses if they're in a nursing home. So just know that. There's a little insider information there. Um, what's interesting to me is that the Lord's Prayer is given to us in both Matthew's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, but when you read those two books of the Bible, it puts it in a different place. In Matthew's Gospel, the Lord's Prayer is, is part of the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus includes it as part of that famous sermon. It's a sermon that covers a lot of bases. It includes the, uh, how people should pray. And he particularly says that, uh, that we shouldn't be like the Gentiles who like to pray and, and heap up empty phrases, kind of like my, my friend in the video did there, you know, the, the choosy moms choose Jesus. That's a Gentile prayer. That's just words for the sake of words. It has no meat. It has no bearing. In Luke's gospel, though, we find the Lord's Prayer in a, in a different spot. It's not in the Sermon on the Mount. And someone reading the gospels for the first time would say, oh, this is a problem. Because how can the same passage show up in this place and then show up in this place and those not be in the same places? And some people come to the conclusion, well, that must mean the Bible's inaccurate because it's in two different places in two different books. And so it's got to be inaccurate. Or it could be that Jesus knew we're dumb and we need to hear things on repetition. Uh, it could be that he knew that, hey, it's good for you to hear it here. It's also good for you to, to hear it here. It's good for you to hear it in multiple places. He did give us four gospels uh, to teach us about himself. So he knows how much we need that repetition. But I really do appreciate the context of Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. You find it over in Luke chapter 11. And, and Luke tells us that Jesus was praying. We don't get any content from his prayer. He doesn't give us any details about his prayer. Just that Jesus was praying and he wasn't hiding it. He wasn't going off into a corner and, and you know, kind of, kind of just praying with his eyes open so nobody knew. I mean, he wasn't hiding that he was praying, but the disciples weren't actively participating. But I guess the disciples watched Jesus all the time. I mean, wouldn't you watch Jesus if you got to spend time with Jesus? Wouldn't you just like to watch him and see what he does and just see, see what his character is, what his demeanor is? I, I can't imagine that. But the, Jesus finishes praying 
And I guess Jesus finished his prayers with, with, I don't guess he's prayed in Jesus' name. And, you know, I don't know if he prayed in my name, amen. I don't know that he did that. But he got to the end of his prayer. We have to assume he said amen and, and finished up. And one of the braver disciples, and again, anybody that would approach Jesus with this question had to be brave. They approach Jesus and they say something incredible. They say in Luke chapter 11, Lord, teach us to pray. Like John taught his disciples to pray. If you've ever struggled with prayer, this question is near and dear to your heart. Lord, teach us to pray. Now that says something really important to me. The disciples were around Jesus. They heard Jesus pray. Jesus probably even called on his disciples to pray out loud from time to time. Do you imagine the intimidation of that? I mean, if you've ever been nervous to pray in a group, can you imagine praying like with Jesus and the disciples around you. I mean, that picture of the Lord's Supper, imagine the guy that got called out to, to, to pray at that event. I mean, it had to be just so incredibly intimidating. But these disciples recognize something about their own prayers compared to Jesus' prayers. There's some work we've got to do here. And they didn't really know how to pray properly. So therefore the question, Lord, teach us to pray. And I love that Jesus doesn't say, you bunch of knuckleheads, have you not been paying attention Hey, he doesn't rebuke them. Guys, what kind of disciples are you? You don't even know how to pray. Instead, he gives them an example. And it's an example that he could have said, hey, I preached on this not too long ago. But that's not what he does. He gives them that model prayer again, a reminder of how he's already taught them to pray. So let me say this. If you've ever struggled with prayer, then this is a good reminder that you are in good company. If your mind wanders during prayer, if you don't know what to pray for, if you wonder if your prayers get above the ceiling, if you aren't sure about the value of praying, if you struggle with inconsistency in prayer, if you feel really strange praying out loud, if you think you would have a genuine panic attack if someone called on you to lead in prayer, raise your hand if those statements have ever applied to you or do currently apply to you. If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. And now you need to confess that sin and repent. If we're honest, we've all had that struggle from time to time. We've all had that, that sort of wrestling match from time to time. And the good news is, is that's okay because Jesus' disciples weren't prayer masters either. They had not figured it out either. The fact of the matter is Jesus' own disciples needed coaching and that is a good reminder. And this is good news. Prayer doesn't come naturally to us. No one is born as a prayer warrior. I mean, we love to hear these children pray, don't get me wrong, but the reason we like to hear these children prayer, pray is, is kind of like that NASCAR wreck. Like, what are they gonna say? Uh, like, what, what's about to come out of their mouth? Because some, some doozies have come out of their mouths when they pray, and, and that's okay. It's innocent, it's great. I don't think it's, it, there's no sin at all. It's, it's wonderful, but these children aren't born just as, as prayer warriors. They're not throwing up the names of God like our friend in the video there. No one is born a prayer warrior. It is a discipline that is learned, and because it is learned, it is a discipline that can be improved upon. We don't, we don't have it mastered right away. It's something that we have to figure out along the way, and as we go, we get better at it. And one of the best ways that we can improve our prayer life is by paying very close attention to scriptural texts that deal specifically with the topic of prayer. So we begin this last chapter of 2 Thessalonians. We've been working through this book. This is the 29th sermon through 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And we are immediately confronted with instructions related to prayer. And the information that Paul gives us here helps us to inform our own prayer lives today. 
So if you've got your Bible open, we're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to cover the first five verses today from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you're able, would you stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's Word? Paul's a good Baptist preacher. He begins with finally. That means the sermon's got about 15 to 20 more minutes left. Finally. It says, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the instructions that your word gives us about what we should pray for, how we should pray. You don't leave us to to figure this out. You teach us and instruct us and give us what we need to know. May we be better at praying as we consider this today. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, be seated. Now, finally, Paul has two specific, I'm kidding. (laughs) Paul writes to the church and he gives them two specific prayer requests. Uh, again, so these, are, these are simple prayer requests. They're not, they're not profoundly personal, but they are just two really simple prayer requests. If I were to try to summarize what he's asking for here, I would say that his prayer requests here are mission-driven prayer requests. He is asking for the church at Thessalonica to pray for him in these mission-driven prayer requests. The first thing he prays for is for the effectiveness and urgency of the gospel. No mincing of words here. Paul doesn't take a leisurely pace with his work. He understands that the work he's doing is urgent. It's a big world out there. And though Paul knows he's not alone, I think he works like he believes he's the only one. I think that that's his work ethic, that that I know there's other missionaries and I know there's other church planning and I know there's other things happening, but I believe Paul approaches this like he and his companions are the only ones doing the work. I had a professor one time in college that said it this way, we work like it all depends on us and we pray like it all depends on God. And I think Paul approaches ministry that way. He is definitely a prayer warrior, but man, he is a hard worker. And when ministry wasn't enough to meet his needs, that guy would go make tents and awnings and things like that. He was, he was not afraid to do the work that it took in order for him to do the ministry that God had called him to. I fear that today we've lost that same sense of urgency. Nobody's ever said, no, I I disagree, Pastor. We're just as urgent as ever. I don't think we are. And maybe that lack of urgency is a product of living in a hyper-churched culture. Because, man, we live in the, in the hole of the buckle of the Bible Belt here. And, and this is the known fact of Chattanooga. We are in the most churched city in America. There are more churches per capita in the Chattanooga metropolitan area than anywhere else in the country. There are churches like the old Southern saying, you can't sling a dead cat and not hit a Baptist church somewhere in our area. They are literally everywhere, but the problem is is that none of them are just overflowing to capacity. There's room for lots more people to go to church on a Sunday morning. And the problem we have here is that there are enough people around us who talk the talk that we aren't as sensitive to lostness. We encounter people on a regular basis who are able to carry on some level of conversation about spiritual things. It may not be a good conversation, but at least it's a conversation. And because we hear that on a regular basis, we're not as sensitive to lostness. But that's not lost on Paul. Everywhere he turned, can you imagine living in Paul's day and time where where we sort of assume that everybody we encounter is something of a Christian. We just sort of, I mean, it's kind of like you're innocent until you're proven guilty. Like we kind of approach that you're Christian until you show me that you're not. 
And I don't know that that's for our benefit, I mean, to, to, to function that way, but everywhere Paul looked, he could safely assume that unless he was in the church, in the marketplace, wherever he went, the people around him didn't know Christ and had never heard the gospel. And that was, his, that was the, the world in which he functioned. And so he's praying for that gospel message to, to, to move forward with, with speed, that it would be honored and, and, and it would happen quickly. The second thing he prays for is that he and his team would be delivered from wicked and evil men. Because the problem is if you're in a community where nobody knows about Jesus and nobody trusts what you're doing and everybody's suspect and there's a lot of people who hate what you're doing, he knew the work that he was doing was dangerous. I mean, how many times was he beaten for his work, imprisoned for his work? How much trouble did he face because of his commitment to Christ? And again, we know Paul's not intimidated by prison ministry. Uh, he wasn't intimidated about being arrested for his faith, but he also knew that prison was a severe limitation on that first prayer request, that the gospel might move forward with speed and urgency. Locking him in prison kind of put the brakes on that a little bit. So it, it wasn't that he was opposed to going to prison, it's that prison was not the best place for the gospel to spread widely. And even more than that, if those evil, wicked men that Paul is praying for, if they sought to kill him and his companions, well, Again, he'd get to go be with Jesus and that's great, but that was a severe limitation on the spread of the gospel. If all the missionaries got martyred and sent to heaven, then that really takes a toll on the church planning movement. And so again, Paul is praying that he would be safe from wicked and evil men. It's not he's afraid to die, but he knew that he still had plenty of work to do above ground. That's why he said that to live is Christ and to die is gain, because as long as he lived, Christ was the theme of his song, Blessed Assurance. I mean, that was, that was what he was about, was telling that story that people would know who Jesus is. And again, after he just spent a lot of ink in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, talking about the Antichrist, he knew wicked people were around every corner seeking to unravel the kingdom of God. And so he gives us these mission-focused, these kingdom-focused prayer requests, and they were very much in line with Jesus' own teaching in this. When Jesus gave us the model prayer, we call it the Lord's Prayer, he, he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or if you memorize it sooner, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's very much in line with what Paul is praying for here. Jesus gave us the model. Paul is asking specifics. It's the same idea though, praying that the kingdom of God might be made manifest, that it might strengthen and grow, that, that God's purpose and plans would be done in, in, in the world today. But these two prayer requests that Paul gives the church at Thessalonica, and by extension, he, he shares them with us as well, it reveals some very important things about the nature of our prayers today. And the first thing that reveals to us is this, is we need to allow the kingdom to inform our prayers. We need to allow the kingdom to inform our prayers. One of the things that we know about prayer is that we tend to pray about those things that are most important to us. It's natural, That's a, uh, it's not a sinful thing, it's not a surprising thing, but those things that are most important to us are going to drive and dictate your prayers. And, and again, we see that anecdotally. You go to the doctor and the doctor says it's bad, well, you know what you're gonna be praying about for the next little bit. You know what, that, that, that bad news is going to be driving how you pray. 
And so we understand that the matters that are right in front of us often take up a lot of space in our prayer lives. We spend a lot of time praying for our families. We spend a lot of time praying about those circumstances that are most pressing in our lives, whether it's at work or at school or in some other way. We spend a lot of time praying about those crises that we are both experiencing and those crises that we are anticipating. We spend a lot of time dealing with those kind of prayers. The more distant those concerns, the less likely it is that they're brought to the top of our prayer list. You may find in recent news reports, you were more compelled to pray for the families of the victims of the fire in Maui than you were to pray for the victims of the war in Ukraine. And it's not that you don't care about the people in Ukraine, it's that Maui's American citizens and that's in the forefront of our mind. Ukraine's a world away and it's not, as, it's not as urgent to us. And if something were to happen tragically in our own community, that would drive your prayer focus more than something that was happening on the other side of the country. It's just how we're wired. It's just, we don't have the bandwidth to cover all those things. We don't have the the attention span to be able to cover all those things. In a fallen world that is gripped by natural disasters and human evil, it's easy to run out of room. The computer only has so much space in its hard drive. We understand that. I once had a lady in my church. She was elderly. She's passed away now. Um, She would sit at home and she would watch the news. And she would be so burdened by the human suffering that the news focused on that I'm pretty sure that she stayed at home and prayed all day every day about the stuff that she saw on the news. And in a 24-hour news channel, man, there's a lot to pray about there. But she was unique because most Christians I know would be quickly overwhelmed if they allowed the news to inform their prayer lives. I mean, if you just got the Sunday paper today and you read through the Sunday paper and the Sunday paper informed your prayer life this week, you'd run out of space. You'd run out of attention. You'd run out of time. You'd run out of focus. There was a lot of bad in the Roman Empire. Paul knew there was a lot of bad. There was more than enough struggling and strife to go around. But one constant in the prayers of the New Testament is that those prayers were very much focused on the kingdom of God. Now, what would happen if you were to chart the amount of time that you spend praying in your own life? What would happen if you were to to break down your own prayers into, into a pie chart? Your prayers, whether it's five minutes or 50 minutes or five hours, you put that that prayer time on a pie chart and you were to try to break it down into how much you spent on different types of things. And again, when your mind starts, we talked about this in our staff prayer time on Thursday, that, that you know, how long can you pray before your mind starts to drift to other things? If you were to just put your prayer life into a pie chart, how much time would you spend praying things? How much time would you spend praying kingdom prayers versus the amount of time that you spent praying other things? I'm not suggesting other things are unimportant. Jesus included give us this day our daily bread for a reason in the model prayer. There's a place to make sure that we are asking for needs to be met and and those, those types of prayer. But I think there's a need to make sure that there's at least some level of balance in our lives. It's absolutely appropriate for us to to intercede for the various needs that we see around us. There's absolutely a place for us to pray for our loved ones who are struggling with various afflictions. But let me ask a question. You may be praying for your loved ones who are facing sickness or heartache or hardship. How much time are you praying for people who don't know Christ? How much time are you praying for people who are lost? If the Lord were to miraculously save 
every lost person that we've been praying for by name in our own personal prayer times, how many baptisms would we be scheduling over the next few weeks if the Lord miraculously saved everybody that we've been praying for by name? How many baptisms would need to be scheduled? I once heard a preacher say it this way, and it may be offensive, but it's probably accurate. We spend a lot more time praying for saints to stay out of heaven than we do praying for sinners to stay out of hell. That's probably not inaccurate when we really stop and think about it. Kingdom and forward prayers recognize that the work that we do has a cost. People are perishing apart from the gospel. And Paul's prayer request for the Thessalonians, we know he's got other things happening. We know that there's personal struggles, there's personal needs, there's all those things taking place. But the prayer request he gives to the church at Thessalonica is very much mindful of this kingdom focus that he has. And one of the consequences, one of the assurances that we have when the kingdom informs our prayer life is this, we recognize that God is very much committed to his kingdom. Paul says it clearly in verse three, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. That doesn't mean the Lord is like some genie in a bottle. That if we just have the right combination of words, if we say it loud enough, he'll do what we ask. In fact, if we approach prayer that way, we probably stand to be very disappointed. Prayer isn't about changing God's mind or convincing him to do something that he otherwise wouldn't do. That's not what prayer's about at all. Problem is we frequently pray for circumstances to change. And there are certainly times that we pray and circumstances do change. We've seen it happen. We know that there are times and seasons where we pray about something and, and, and miraculously something happens, something trans, transpires. But we need to be careful that we don't overlook something very important. The circumstances that we are eager to see changed may actually be the circumstances that God is putting in our lives to help us grow. We want those circumstances to go away, but it may be that those circumstances are there for a reason that God has granted them to us to help us for such a time as this. We may not understand it at the time. Rarely when we're going through hardship can we look at it in the moment and say, I know why this is happening. I know what this is for. I know why I'm dealing with this. Rarely does that happen. We may not even appreciate it at the time. In fact, there are times that our circumstances don't ever seem to change or even when our circumstances get work, worse and, and sometimes that even makes us angry. I want this fixed. I want this resolved. I don't want to be in this mess anymore. But again, we are in good company. You're not alone. If you've ever wanted your circumstances to change and God doesn't change those circumstances, you have incredible company in the word of God. The guy who's asking us to pray these kingdom prayers in 2 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul struggled with this very problem. Over in the book of 2 Corinthians, in the, in the 12th chapter, the Apostle Paul explains something of his unpleasant circumstances. Uh, we don't know the full extent of what he's dealing with. We don't know the details. He doesn't give us that information. People have tried to speculate and try to figure it out. At the end of the day, he doesn't tell us the nature of his consequences. But look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse seven. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, 
a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from being conceited. Read that. There is a circumstance that has been given to him that is not what he would want it for himself. A thorn in the flesh, he calls it. There is something that is in his life that is undesirable, that he doesn't want, that he wishes would go away. He wants his circumstance to change. But it has a reason. It has a purpose. It's to keep him from being conceited. He's able to identify and recognize why his life is what it is right now. He knows the problem. And he goes on in verse eight. Three times I have pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But God said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For the sake of Christ, I am content with terrible circumstances because these terrible circumstances are for my good. And I am willing to endure these terrible circumstances because God is working them out for his glory and for my good. Whatever Paul's wrestling with, it wasn't pleasant. And he asked God to change his circumstances. He didn't just pray, it says he pleaded. Pleaded, I don't know what you think when you see the word pleaded, but I think it's somebody down on their hands and knees begging for something to change. Pleading, pleading with a judge for justice, pleading with somebody to, to change something pleading with, a, uh, with, with somebody to make a difference. Paul is pleading with God that his circumstances would change, that this thorn in his flesh would be taken away, but it's not. And so he comes to the conclusion that I am content in my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. I'm content with my circumstances because the circumstances are for my good. Maybe you've gone beyond petition to pleading. You got some stuff in your life. You're not happy about it. You're angry about it, but it won't go away. This is what happened to Paul. But God reminded him that those circumstances, that thorn in his flesh was there for his good. The circumstance that Paul hated was exactly what God wanted for him at that time. And that may not be what you wanna hear. You may have came to church today and said, I hope he says something that helps me get over whatever, whatever junk is going on in my life. But that may not be what God wants for you right now. It may be that the junk in your life is there very much on purpose, very much with a reason. And what did God say? He said, I'm not taking it away because in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of your circumstances, you're gonna see just how faithful I am because even in the bad circumstances, God was making himself known through those weaknesses. The theologian Garth Brooks once said that one of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And then Paul says, the Lord will establish you and guard you against the evil one. He doesn't say that the Lord will remove the consequences from our lives that stem from our own sinful actions and decisions. I said last week, we frequently feel like we have a degree in self-imposed suffering. We've got no guarantee that God's gonna remove any of that kind of suffering or trial, but he does say he will establish us and guard us against the evil one. Because what happens as we pray, what actually is happening is that the spirit is working on conforming us and conforming our hearts. Prayer is much less about changing God's mind and much more about changing ours. 
Paul begins this section about praying for speed and the safety of their mission, but he ends with God's work at the church there in Thessalonica. That's why prayer is so important, and that's why I really do believe that we face so much internal opposition to a healthy and vibrant prayer life. If you struggle with prayer, you probably feel like that every corner there is something trying to encourage you not to pray, not to develop a vibrant prayer life, not to spend time with God. There is something trying to distract you from that, take you away from that. There's a thousand different things that want to distract you from that because what happens as we pray and we develop that discipline, we become increasingly aware of God's work in the world and God's work in our own lives. As we truly seek the Lord in prayer, not just our list of problems, we are willingly submitting ourselves as clay to the potter's hands to be shaped and molded into his image. We seek the Lord's heart in prayer, and as we read here, we are directed to the love of God and the steadfastness of Christ. When we pray and we devote ourselves to to, to growing in prayer, what happens is that God works in us. God changes us. God's conforming us more and more into his image. He is reshaping our priorities. He is aligning our hearts with his. He is helping us to remain committed to his word and to his kingdom. That's what happens as we devote ourselves to pray. If your marriage is struggling, one of the first things a couple ought to do in a struggling marriage is begin to pray with one another because what happens as you pray together is that God starts to shape and mold and and transform those people who who are trying to figure it out, who are trying to figure out praying together. That's what begins to happen. Now, throughout First and Second Thessalonians, Paul says that God will establish them. He says that in Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse seventeen, that He will establish them in every good work and word. In chapter three, verse three, He says God will establish them and guard them against the evil one. Back in First Thessalonians chapter three, verse two, it says that they were being established in their faith. And in First Thessalonians three, verse thirteen, it says their hearts were being established in blamelessness and holiness. He talks about being established a lot. What does that mean? To be established means to strengthen, support, or prop up. But the point of, being, of what Paul is saying here is that, is that being established, this isn't something that we do. This is something that is done on our behalf, behalf by somebody else. And here in the context of this church praying for Paul's mission speed and effectiveness, we find out that God is actually working on them. He is establishing them. We have confidence that God is doing his part in terms of Paul's missionary endeavors. But while that is happening, there's all this additional work that is happening on the part of those offering the prayers. As the church prays, the church is transformed. As the church prays, God establishes that church and good things happen as that church seeks the face of God. This makes me wonder, has the church lost her zeal for prayer in prayer meetings because of this? We don't like to have these kinds of prayers because we're really concerned about the side effects of such endeavors. We are much happier praying through our list of bumps and bruises because we know that if we start praying kingdom prayers more than other kinds of prayers, the Lord might just start to have his way with us. Again, it's easy to pray for that long prayer list of every surgery and every stub toe and this, that, and the other. It's easier to pray through that because that doesn't require anything from us. Lord, be with granny and her stub toe, be with Samantha and her bum knee, be with this, that, and the other, and and we can be done with that. We can hand that to the Lord and say, Lord, you do your thing with it. We're good. You do your thing with these prayer requests and, and, and we'll come back and evaluate how you did, Lord. Did you answer the prayer or did you not, Lord? We get to, we get to judge the Lord when it comes to those kinds of prayers. 
But what happens when we begin to pray differently, where we begin to pray these kingdom kinds of prayers and the Lord starts to work on us? Well, then we're suddenly accountable for what we're saying. We know that, we know that if we pray that we might have more volunteers to help support a growing kids ministry, that we might just find that the volunteers are the ones doing the praying. We might just find that, that, that God's working on us as we, as we pray. And that makes us very uncomfortable. Praying for grandpa's bumps and bruises don't ask anything of us. Praying kingdom prayers might just call us into kingdom service. And that makes us very uncomfortable. You know, I used to work in a retail store when I was in college. And one of the tasks, if you've ever worked in any kind of retail, one of the tasks that we hated was inventory. Because they tried to make it fun. They tried to, they tried to, to do things to make it somewhat enjoyable. But listen, there is nothing fun about counting stuff. And if you're an accountant, God love you. I know that you have fun doing, doing all that. But there is nothing fun about counting stuff. But there was always a list of stuff that didn't get counted. Maybe you've been in a store when they're getting ready to do inventory and you walk through the store and you see all the little yellow sticky notes on things. And that little yellow sticky note's got three letters on it. D-N-I. means do not inventory. And I wonder if what we've done in our prayer lives is, is we've put in that yellow sticker on our prayer lives. That yellow sticker says, do not inventory, do not count, don't take a look here. We don't really want to take a closer look at it because what we might find is that we're really uncomfortable with what we see. The good news is this, if you do take that inventory and you find in your own spiritual life that own prayer discipline then maybe it's coming up just a little bit shallow. Listen to me, church. You are not destined to a lifetime of ineffective, powerless prayers. Every one of us have struggled at times in various ways with prayer. You're not destined to be an ineffective prayer, prayer warrior for the rest of your life. Prayer is a skill that can be learned and it is a skill that works best when practiced frequently. Paul said to the Thessalonians in the first letter, pray without ceasing. It is a skill that we can improve on, that we can get better at, that we can, we can learn more from. So how do we improve in this discipline? Well, like we've done today, seek first the kingdom. Let the kingdom of God inform your prayers. It doesn't mean that you don't intercede for your sick parent, your frustrated spouse, or your rebellious child, but it does mean that you seek first the kingdom of God. When you pray that way, it may be that your child is rebellious because they're running from the Lord. It may be that your spouse is frustrated because they're in a situation that they got into without seeking the Lord. It may be that your parents are sick because the Lord is using those circumstances to help shape them more and more into his image. Let the kingdom of God inform our prayers. When we pray, pray this way. Seek first the kingdom of God. Another really important way that we can learn to get better at this, pray with somebody else. Pray with somebody else. Find somebody that you like to look at and say, you know what, they pray better than I do. Not like the comedian in the video. That's probably not the best example. Find somebody that you say, you know what, brother so-and-so just knows how to pray. When he prays, I feel like that, 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 that things happen, that the Lord's listening. Find somebody that you respect who prays better than you do and pray with them. Ask them, today, can we meet and pray together for half an hour this week? I'm gonna tell you that if somebody is doing a good job praying, they're not gonna look at you and say, gosh, I don't really have time to pray with you. Because people who like pray, praying, they like praying. 
And they're not gonna pass up the opportunity to pray together with people who wanna learn to pray. I was in a prayer circle at Ridgeland High School football game on Friday night. It was a precious time with people that I knew and people that I didn't know. And I'll tell you this, nobody in that prayer circle was praying for victory over their opponents. Lord, crush the other team so we can win. Nobody was praying that way. Nobody was praying the Christian sports movie trope. Lord, if they'll just have faith, they'll overcome their adversaries. Nobody was praying that way. But they were praying values that lined up with the kingdom of God. And it was such a precious, precious thing. You ought to be a part. 30 minutes before kickoff, right inside the gate, there's gonna be a group of people praying before all the home football games. If you don't go to Ridgeland, you go to a different school, you ought to do it at your school too. Nobody's telling you that you can't pray before a home football game at your school. You ought to get together and pray. Parents, kids alike, you ought to get together and pray because them, them folks are gonna go out there and they're gonna slobber knock each other with pads and they're gonna hit each other and there's a chance for people getting hurt. At the same time, they're doing something that builds character and helps to, helps to, to teach people. And so, so there's an opportunity, there's, a king, there's kingdom stuff all over the place on a football game on a Friday night. All the lost people in the stands, if you wanna see lostness, just go watch a Friday night football game and it is on parade at a football game. Pray for that lost person. Pray for that person who thinks the referees are, are, are skilled at four-letter words because uh, they're shouting at them the whole time. The, the lostness is, is evident. Pray kingdom prayers like that. Look for opportunities to pray with other people. And you'll be better at it as a result. It's kind of like a muscle. How do you get better muscles? Well, you go work them out. You go work them out. If prayer is a muscle, then this is how you go to the gym. You let the kingdom inform your prayers. And if you're not good at it, find people who are and learn to pray with them. That's how you work out that muscle. How would God have you work it out today? Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these simple, simple practical things, God, that we all struggle with, Lord. God, we wanna be better at praying, God. It's something that, that we know as Christians, we ought to love praying. We ought to, we ought to love coming before our, our heavenly Father and bringing our needs to you, Lord. But there's so many things that get in the way and distract us and, and cast our attention elsewhere. Lord, sometimes we get so focused on that, that long list of needs that, that, that is so pressing in our lives that we forget the, the lostness and the darkness in our own community. We forget the, the challenges that our young people face in their schools. We forget those things. And so, Lord, help us to find that balance, that we would intercede for those around us, God, but that we would pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us eyes to see our community through the kingdom of God and help us, Lord, to work that muscle, to seek the kingdom and to seek others to pray together with. Lord, may we be a better people at praying and may we work harder at praying people out of hell than we do praying keep, to keep people out of heaven. Lord, um, we love you. Thank you for your word. Move now in our midst. In Jesus' Thanks name, Thanks for pray. listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.